This is the coolest show brought to you by Hip Hop Caucuses. Think 100%. It's the coolest show you know. Keep the culture connected. It's the coolest show you know. In your ear, yeah, respect the expert level information, entertainment, education. Rev here, we got you covered as you hit your destination. Climate rules everything around me. Cream. For those who lost focus, close your eyes and just dream. Open your third eye, now the world is your off. Coolest, coolest show you know. It's the Hip Hop Caucus. Everyone, this is Review, and I'm so excited for this conversation today because there are times when we have to have conversations within our community, particularly when it means our liberation and our freedom. And so with me, I have with me from the Black Hive, Valencia Dunder. AV, how you doing? I'm good. How are you? I'm doing good. I'm doing good. Well, let's just start off. For folks who don't know, who is Valencia Gunder and who is your community? Yeah, so um, Valencia Gunder, most folks call me B, she, her. Um, I'm based here in Miami, Florida. <clears throat> I have um, been here my whole life. This is where my family is from, um, by way of the Bahamas. And my father's side is from South Georgia, so I'm a Southerner. Um, to the heart, I'm a global Southerner to the heart. Um, and I cut my teeth in organizing on climate, actually, in 2010, um, around the earthquake in Haiti in 2010. And um, it hit me so hard because although I'm not Haitian, I'm not Haitian, but Miami has one of the largest Haitian populations outside of the country of Haiti. And uh, when I saw the devastation and also how um, white media was talking about our people I was disturbed, you know. <clears throat> I grew up with Haitian friends. Some of my best friends are Haitian. I grew up very close to the culture and how they were being portrayed and um, talked about was completely opposite of what I experienced. And I was just like, I got to do something, you know. <laughs> so um, I've been doing that for a while. So my community looks like, of course, all my folks here in Florida, um, South Florida, where I'm based, um, the Caribbean islands. Um, the climate and environmental justice movement, the black liberation movement. Um, that's who I'm accountable to. Um, when I say black, I mean all black people, not just African-Americans. Um, you know, I feel like um, I'm accountable to the assignment that was put forth to me by the ancestors. And um, that includes me trying to like create resiliency for as many black people as possible. Mm hmm. No, nah, I love that. Well, we got a lot in common because I have, I, I love how you said you got to you get the real Southern roots. My parents, I was born in Louisiana, but my parents are both from Trinidad. So oh, okay. I, I, I feel you, I feel you on that. And uh, obviously, uh, Haiti means so much to us as a people uh, and our liberation and what they've taken because of that. Yeah. Um, so definitely love your response in that regard. And also, you'd from down there now. We got now. I know y'all got some good food down there. And, and absolutely, absolutely. <laughs> yeah, you know, um, I always tell people um, you could visit the Caribbean islands, but I go into the Caribbean islands if you come facts. to my all yeah. facts, <laughs> <laughs> all facts. That's why I, I like the preface that when I go down there, it's like being like being in Port of Spain and Trinidad. It's like my goodness, you can just get it. Oh yeah, right every there. corner, every corner. Yeah. <laughs> uh, for those who don't know, or maybe don't know, have a clear understanding 
what is the movement for Black Lives? Yeah, so, you know, a lot of people have a lot of different um, interpretations of what it is. So one, the movement for Black Lives is the ecosystem, um, an ecosystem of all Black organizations from across the country that is working together to figure out a vision toward liberation for Black people. Um, that could look like a lot of different things, right? From supporting local power, organizing. Um, it could look like policy support and legislation. It could look like electoral justice. It could look like, um, you know, supporting queer and trans folks. And it could look like um, climate change, right? Um, we have a multitude of organizations. It's close to almost 300 orgs across the ecosystem that just come together to figure out, you know, what can we do together that we can't do alone? Hmm. So, so I know a lot of folks who are listening, um, listen to this this podcast and this conversation within the climate justice and this conversation, this actual podcast. Shout out to our producers, Cross, Tamara, Destiny, and many of those who helped put this on. Was created with the idea that we needed a space, particularly for Black people, people of color, um, for all those in our community. Um, and so as you're thinking of that, um, clearly the movement for Black lives is also connected to the Black Lives Matter movement. Connect those dots so folks can understand how that, because I think that thing goes into the Black Lives. Yeah, so... Um one, it is two different entities for those who don't know. Um, although, um, shout out to BLM um, for their connection to InfraBL. Um, I ain't going to lie, I hold you. I've been a part of InfraBL for two years now, so I do not know the full backstory. But I do know that it's love there and it's family there. Um, I know that the leadership of InfraBL um, and a lot of those who have been um, a part of the BLM space are comrades you know, and have worked together before. Um, I know just based off my own education and political education that um, we do have some similar um, goals, you know, um, but I can't really like connect it too much, Rev, because I, I just haven't been a part of that conversation really deeply, you know, and that's just me be being really truthful and honest. Um, I know like it's a lot of love there between the two, um, but like the details of it all, not 100% sure. Um, but I do know that um, the leadership in like a lot of the folks, um, the leadership that has been um, cultivated in these spaces have, you know, great bonds and relationships and friendships over the years. Yeah. And so I want to take this moment here. I guess it's a good moment here, V, for me to say, say this. For those who are listening, I, I want those to know that um, we know in our community those who are really struggling for our freedom. And when people try to make mistakes or things bigger than they are, and sometimes, you know, they are what they are. I'm not going past that. But what I'm saying, though, we know people's hearts. And so I just want to say that don't don't get started. Because if you want to talk about folks doing something, we still, we've had on past shows and conversations where we know that particularly we look at the, the 12 largest funders uh, in the environmental movement. We know that out of those 12 who put forth $1.3 billion, 
Only 1.3% of that went to BIPOC uh, EJ organization. So until y'all, until y'all up that number, let's let's get real. I said, until we get to until y'all up the 1.3 billion number, that don't don't come to us with no nonsense. We 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 fighting for our people, and so I, I just want to make sure that's clear to folks. But what read this? Yeah. That's not. I I want to deal with that 1.3 billion. That's the numbers I want to deal. I want to deal with that number, and I think that's right. for. Let's get to that point. I just, I was just that's just me, v, v, just using a little bit of my, <laughs> just getting that in there. But please yeah. tell the audience about Black Hive. Um, and let's break that down first, and then it's a ship to the movement for Black Lives. Yeah, for sure. So <clears throat> the Black Hive, <clears throat> I'm so sorry. So the Black Hive is, um, you know, like the heartbeat of InfraBL's climate and environmental justice work. Um, I know folks may remember last year when we introduced the Red, Black, and Green New Deal um, last May um, publicly. Um, but since then, we decided to expand. You know, we realized that just policy alone is not going to get us to where we need to be. We also wanted to revisit our politics to make sure that it was aligned with, of course, InfraBL's politics, but also the politics that the people on the ground were speaking. You know what I'm saying? Like, um, does this really make sense to what people are saying, what people are experiencing and what people need, you know? And, um, and the black hive has morphed into this 200 plus organizations slash, um, individual leaders, um, into this amazing space where we can one, imagine what, um, a just transition look like. We can imagine what Black futures would look like in this um, climate crisis that we're in and also figure out ways to hold the state accountable for the um, injustices that our people are um, experiencing. And one of the other things that we're trying to do is be of support of local organizations, right? Um, just like you said, Reb, like, is a lot of um, resources don't make it to our people on the ground, the people who are dreaming up the solutions, the people that's on the front lines, um, the people who are in the streets. And our goal is to, one, support them, asking folks what they need, um, seeing ways that we can support technically, financially, and sometimes even in person if we need bodies on the ground. And then also help with um, fortifying um, organizations, Black liberation organizations, and teaching them how the climate crisis is hitting them and how they could be prepared for their membership based in the communities that they're in in the time of crisis. Um, and... Yeah, so we we decided that we would focus on these um, things from organizing to policy and legislation to um, rapid response to resiliency planning, right? Um, because we don't always want to be in a rapid, right? We want to be able to like teach people self-determination. So you're not even waiting on InfraBL in a time of crisis, right? Like the community know how to stand up. And, you know, honestly, that's what we do anyway. It's what Black people always did. Um, so it's just a way to be able to further support Black people in the things that they already are doing. I'm helping them use it as an organizing tool. So once you get um, back to a level of um, resiliency, how do we then shift into the advocacy, um, the accountability to the state for their lack of investment in response to our communities? And um, I know during especially during crisis, it's oftentimes that we don't think about those things um, when we should, right? So that's some of the stuff that we're doing to support that. Um, we also released the Black Climate Mandate, 
right? Um, looked at the Hemes principles and the EJ principles. And, you know, shout out to the elders and the ancestors who worked really, really hard for those things. And we were like, we're a new bunch, right? Um, although, like, everybody in the hive has years and years of climate and environmental justice experience, but the Black hive is new, right? So what is our political lines? grounded in the EJ and the HMS principles, right? Like how do we, um, what most folks would call um, carry the baton um, for our people um, and not um, invisibilize all of the amazing labor of those who came before us, right? I'm only 38. It's been people out here way before I was born, you know? Um, how do we um, use what they gave us to also build upon it Right to be able to innovate and think about Black futures, and um, also be a support and uplifting the work that became that came before us. Link to me this. This is very important. What you just you said so much there, and mm-hmm. I want to just unpack some of that. It's such an important conversation that we need to unpack. First, let's take a step back. Uh, clearly, with the movement for Black Lives dealing with racial justice. Clearly what you're saying here with the Black Hat, that there is a connection. There is no doubt climate justice is racial justice, and racial justice is climate justice. They, they go together. Um, but how does the movement for Black Lives really center its environmental justice as a priority for that? And what I mean by that is that, I mean, and this really get deep. So it's for folks who are listening, please understand. Black folk in particular are concerned about the climate. They're also concerned about what goes on in the boardroom of these fossil fuel industries, which are designing their death and destruction. So we're as concerned about what goes on in the streets as we are with the suites. And so we are, we're dealing with that. So come to me here, V with the standpoint that how, what is that moment that the movement for black lives pretty much says this needs to be a priority along with the other priorities, but this to be priority. And then that's when going to the black hive to then bring in this coalition. So make sure that step is connected first. Absolutely. So um, I think a lot of people do know InfraBL as it relates to like, um, um, police violence, state violence, um, state-based violence um, in the midst of uprisings when Black people are being murdered um, in the street by law enforcement, also around um, mass incarceration and how that continues to harm our people. And um, InfraBL, um, you know, we're abolitionists, we're anti-capitalists, and we believe, believe in queer Black feminism. And, um, you know, the conversation came up like, you know, this climate thing is real. And um, I had to, re- not myself personally, but a lot of people had to remind, not just InfraBL, but the Black Liberation Movement at large. Like, the police in the state is not the only people that's killing Black people. It's not the only nice. thing that's killing Black people. And honestly, statistically, these fossil fuel companies are killing way more Black people than the police department is. You get what I'm saying? So, like, if we are defending Black lives, if Black lives matter, that means they should matter during climate injustices, environmental injustices. It, it should matter when we can, don't have clean air to breathe, when we don't have um, drinkable water um, and those things like that. And I feel as if um, InfraBL took the charge, right? They they listened um, and they gave us the space 
um, to be able to be creative and, and bring something to the, the centerfold. Um, they believe, um, well, not they, we believe um, that it is important. It's like detrimental almost that we focus on this, right? Like it's no way that we could walk this earth and not realize that Jackson, Mississippi doesn't have water or Baltimore had a water crisis or um, it was 120 degrees in California or windstorms are knocking out the power in the Midwest. Like this is a real thing. Right. Um, and I feel as if like InfraBL did always understood that, you know, our relationship to the land, our relationship to the earth was super important, but um, wanted to make a, a really strong investment and create and carve out um, not just resources, but time and capacity to think about this specific issue, right? Um, also understanding that, um, you know, a lot of times our communities are not necessarily at the center of these conversations, even though we should be, because it would be no EJ or CJ movement without black communities, you know? Um, so just um, making space also to uplift more community voices that's been holding this work for many, many years before it was a BLM, before it was an M for BL, you know? So creating space for these leaders and organizations to be a part of that. And then another thing that we're trying to do is um, help more black liberation movement organizations right, to really start thinking about climate and environmental justice. Mm. That's another thing that happens. A lot of people, a lot of organizations just don't do the climate and environmental justice work, right? And um, now we're starting to see a shift in that, right? Teaching more organizations about a political education, giving them framework, um, helping them identify issues and um, assess what's going on in their city to be able to build out their work in their organizations. And um, yeah, I feel as if um, InfraBL just really like, okay, we're going to do this. We want to make sure that we're doing it in a um, very um, principled way and partnership and grounded in our people. And that's how we're showing up. Mm. So, I, yeah. so you, man, you, you, you bring in the heat and I just got to, so you said something that's very important in regards to our, and I'm so glad of the love you just spoke to our ancestors and to our elders um because we have love but we gotta but we gotta talk about some stuff too uh and so we we have love but we just wanted to so and we're not and the reason i preface it like that is this and so you know the one of the things here is we know that this moment in particular if any movement environmental justice movement has been struggling not only within the white-led climate movement, but even within the black movement and brown Absolutely. movement and indigenous movement. They've, because they have been seen sometimes as the outside, even trying to explain those things. And so we we shout out all of them who have been struggling. We know they've been doing that now since Warren County, North Carolina, and before that to the cotton That's field. Right. So we, we know that they've been fighting for our environment from, from, from the get-go. This is the thing, though. They 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 have a tendency because they've been doing it so long and have been, frankly, dis disrespected by a lot of young white people through the days who just have not respected their PhDs, their brilliance, their genius, their charisma. And, I, and so I just want to say that if nobody has seen our elders and ancestors who did the work, we see you. This is the That's thing right. now, though. A lot of times they still now are holding on and 
they still kind of focus on respectability politics to get things mm-hmm. done. But we're in a moment when we are clearly done dying. That's even what the NWCP said. When, but we want y'all to, we, we with that, where we done dying. And that we don't want to be here, in essence, where we're having this talk now in 2022. We don't want to be here in 2042 still talking about Jackson and Baltimore and Flint. That ain't that ain't that ain't how we roll. We're not trying to be here 20 years later to be, oh, you know, we still talking about Jackson. What are we gonna yeah. do? Get out and vote. We're gonna do this. So clearly you are now coming to an intersection. How do you That's manage right. that? How do you manage those who are still around about this is the fourth anniversary of the, the or the 50th anniversary of the Clean Water Act? This is the fourth anniversary of this. And we come into the EO on you know, how do you manage that? How do you manage dealing with the past, but our folks now saying we ain't going into the future doing the same thing over and over again? Absolutely. Um, one um, one of my um, own personal um, principles is Sankofa, right? Um, mm. So, you know, always remember where you came from while you're moving forward. And I always looked at myself as a Sankofa bird, like for real, for real. So how I manage that is one, I um, one remember like I'm I'm a young person compared to the um, folks who you know pioneered this movement. Um, so one, I definitely handle them with a lot of respect when I talk to them. Um, definitely be of a listening ear, and then also remind folks that you are in an advisory role. <laughs> like we're going to make this move. Um, we're just, you know, informing you that we're making this move and that we would love your support on this move. You get what I'm saying? Um, I know, I know that our elders sometimes, um, can do this and this is across movement in general, not even just the EJ space, but we see it very heavily in the EJ space. Mm. Um, and you know, one thing I tell people all the time is that, you know, if you built the leadership, you got to be okay with stepping to the side and allowing the leader to lead, you know? Um, and so one of the things that I do, and um, like I said, I'm just new to InfraBL just two years now, and I'm that's me new to the national stage. Like I've been doing climate and environmental justice work through my local organizations. And, you know, I come in with no no bad blood with nobody, right? So I'm keeping that energy. Like, I'm just like, we're new. We're trying to be down. Like, let us know what you need. If we can do it, we'll be honest with you. If we can't, we'll let you know, you know? And then also like choosing not to get stuck in that cycle, choosing not to be stuck in that cycle. I understand. And I and I pay homage to those who came before me. I pay homage to those who still are in the ranks. I listen to history. I take it as a learning experience. And I remember when um, I had a I, I had a chance to have dinner with Bobby Seal from the Black Panthers mm. in 2017. He came down to Miami and he was in Overtown. For those who don't know, that's a historically black neighborhood here in Miami. And we were eating ribs because that's one of his favorite things to eat. <laughs> and he um, and, and I asked him because I was I do food security work. And I'm just like, yeah, you know, I want to redo the food program. And he put his rib down and he looked at me and he was like, you better not. You better not. He was like, y'all have way more access to resources, technology and everything. You should be doing something way bigger than that food program. Right. So that's what I look at. Like, I'm not trying to I want to pay homage that it was 40 years ago that, you know, the Clean Water Act was passed because, hey, we're here now, you know, because of that work we have have now. And also, like. I don't need to recreate the moment. Like what I need to be doing is like, what is the clean water act for 2050? You know what I'm saying? Like that's Come on. 
Come on. We need to at that. So like looking at the blueprint to help build out the future is world building, right? That's what we're trying to do. Like what does the world look like on the other side of this? Like what, what, is, what do our people have? And that's where I look at the history. So that's usually how I approach the elders. Um, I've been um, surprisingly accepted by most folks. Um, I have not actually bumped into anybody who's just like, I don't want to talk to you. You're being disrespectful or whatever. Nothing like that. I have not experienced it. Um, and also like InfraBL is just like in a space where they're trying to make space for people to be innovative. Like wow. we know that our people um, have struggled. We know that black um, elders and ancestors who built this environmental and climate justice work has literally been invisibilized. Their labor has been um, co-opted. Um, the resources have been stolen. Um, white people come in and take over um, our movements without having a lived experience. And that happens really often. Right. Um, so we're going to make sure that we don't perpetuate those same things. Right. And I think that's how we make sure like our politics is lined up with what the elders have um, put forward. That's making sure like when they do call us for support or they want to talk with us or want to be a part of a strategy, we make room and space for that. And also um, let, making sure we know that we don't know it all, right? We have a lot of experience, but we don't know it all. So um, how do we learn? How do we be in a space to learn and lead at the same time? And I believe that we can and we're, we're doing it um, like, like I said, like the hive has not got any pushback from the elders yet. And, um, we hope to keep it there because the door is open. Like all you literally people have my cell phone number. People have my email, just hit my line and we could figure it out. Like I'm, we open for the conversation. We open for the partnership. We open for the education. You know what I'm saying? But we are definitely here for the vision, right? Cause mm. we are here to fight for black futures for sure. I love it. I love it. You heard it here, right? The folks, if you heard it, you heard V say the door is open. Phone line is there. Just, if you got a need to, to chop it up, she's she's right there to make sure that that happens. How 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 can particularly what strikes me about the black hat? We're going to get into how folks can join the black hat. But what strikes me is this: like I've been around this movement for a while, and I was very fortunate because I didn't come through the traditional climate lane, right? I came through the culture. I was doing hip hop politics. And so I didn't come through Sierra Club or LCB or NRDC. No, 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 nothing against none of y'all, but I didn't come to y'all. So I, I, you know, I wasn't my lane um, to coming through this work. I actually came into this work um, very closely associated with the culture um, and also to those who are actually doing eject. So came in, Knowing Damu Smith or Dr. Ben Chavis and, and others, and Dr., you know, many others who came in. This is the thing, though. That's more rare. Most folks who are black come through the climate movement. And what I see from them, they almost are more traumatized leaving the movement than when they came. They came in here wanting to save, you know, the planet. And then they just try to save themselves. You are with the Black Hive are, are bringing together a coalition, not only of folks fighting for liberation, but for abolition. So mm-hmm. there's going to be a a thing here that that movement may not align with what you're creating. How do you mesh that out? And how do you also work with those who are coming to you 
maybe not as not damaged, but coming to you really just like, man, having gone through a kind of turbulent process in their experience with other organizations. Oh, yeah. Um, So one, a lot of the individuals that are a part of the Black Hive are um, Black people who work for non-Black organizations, right? Mm. Um, So one, people are finding, um, what is it called? Um, um, When folks are finding like a, a a space of security and safety for them to be able to practice Black liberation and climate and environmental justice at the same time. Um, also, um, I mean, I just handle niggas with Does that exist, me? Does that exist, or, you, or are you creating that? We're creating it. We're creating it. And it, it's been a journey. It's been a journey. Um, but, you know, um, I also just treat niggas with care. Like, you get what I'm saying? Like, it's no way I could bang the state and be like, oh, you need to treat black people a certain way. And then black people in my space getting treated the same way I'm telling the state not to treat our people. You know, yeah. I talk with people properly. I um, make sure we have fun. Joy is a part of our practice. Um, also, like incorporating rest in our movement, like the the capitalism and patriarchy have already um messed up our earth, right? So yeah. we always in a rapid response moment. So how do we be able to show up for our people but not extracting ourselves, right? We have to be careful and not being extractive to our own people in this work. And um I um so that's one of the things. And then also like when we create a container, right? I keep in mind like the traumas that I hear people go through because the stories are the same, Rip. Like People who come from no matter what big green or non-black org, like the the energy is the same, especially around the anti-black racism. And um, what I try to do is just make sure folks know that they could be their full black, queer, masculine, youthful, senior self in this space at all times. Right. And making time for that and also understanding that people are coming through um, our um our container from different viewpoints, right? We have people who are professors and writers, people who do legislative. And then we also have people who do community gardens, right? They all have a a viewpoint to bring in, like how do we make sure that it's democratic and that everybody be able to pour in, you know, um, even with the black climate mandate that we'll talk about later, over 80 people actually helped edit that document because we wanted to make sure (laughs) that people um, are a part of those things. So that's some of the ways that we try to make sure people um, are cared for um, when they come from these other spaces. I always remind them, like, this is not the other space. Like, you don't have to show up this way because I got you. And trust me, I'm going to deliver that or whatnot. And as an organizer and with my co-lead, Nayusi, um, we we talk about that all the time. Like, our people are, one, exhausted. Two, have been invisibilized. Three have been tokenized if they were put in the front and four, um, they've been traumatized. Right. So how do we make sure we do that? And then also just thinking about ourselves. Right. And how we've experienced some of these same things and um, the work that we need. We've been doing within our own selves to heal from that, because honestly, um, the the world is so not the world, not the people of the world, but the actual earth is. um you know, very sick right now. And our people depend on that. So like, we feel as if um, we try to figure out ways to give people a chance to dream, scheme, mm-hmm. um, implement strategy 
and also um, restore themselves from some of the other things, you know, like, hey, in this space, we want your talents. We need you to come and be your best self here. Um, it's a lot of thank yous and appreciations that go out to our team um, and all of these organizations. We also honor the fact that y'all are running whole organizations that have jobs outside of this and you still putting time in here. Um, so like we we feel as if like the Black Hive is a space of rest. Like it's a space where like you could come let it down. You don't have to worry about those things here. Um, we're going to try our hardest. And then if it does come up, because it does, we're human, right? We're human. We're still living in a capitalistic society. So things do come up. So it's just about like, what is our restorative justice practices? How do we honor these things? Do we um, have transparent conversations? So it's a lot of those things that we do within our coalition um, to try our hardest to not perpetuate the same harms that people are experiencing in other, in other um, you know, institutions. Amazing. Amazing. Well, let's get some of the best and most for Black High. Let's get it. So, First thing is, why should Black people join the Black Hive? And if so, what ideologies or principles do they have to ascribe to? Yeah. So Black people should join the Black Hive because we're trying to figure it out, y'all. We really come trying on, to come figure it out. Come on, come on. <laughs> <laughs> we're trying to figure it out. We don't have all the answers, right? Um, I, I don't ever walk around like I know it all. You feel what I'm saying? I already talk a lot. So I make sure people know that I don't know it all and that um, that we are always welcoming more voices, more experience to the table. You know what I'm saying? We're stronger together. And I know that's a cliche to say, but it's a real thing to say, right? Mm-hmm. Um, also, like, you know, I mean, we're abolitionists. We're radicals. Um, some folks are queer. Some people are um, what we would call down-home Southern. Um, we have um, different type of cultures in there. So we want to make sure that, one, if you join the Black Hive, that one, you believe climate change is real. That's one. <laughs> Two, you can't be no conservative because no. <laughs> Three, um, you know, you have to believe in abolition within your own framework, right? Like, I don't try to, like, police people, politic or nothing like that, but also understanding that the systems that we're living in right now just will not work for us to heal the earth. Right. So you have to believe in that. Also, like we don't move through a lens of capitalism. Right. I also I and I also um, ask people to think about it in abundance. Right. We have more than enough. Um, well, no, we need to get talk about that one point three billion, though. Red, but like Thanks. we do. Have, <laughs> but we do have enough amongst ourselves. Like we don't have to be in competition. And things like that. So that's the space. Like, if you want to join the Black Hive, we welcome you. You don't have to have all the climate justice experience and all of that stuff. That's not what we do, right? Because it's a learning space, right? We're learning. We're visioning. Um, we are um, dreaming and scheming to build strategy or whatnot. So you don't have to know everything, right? But we do want you to believe that Black people deserve climate res- and environmental resiliency. Like, you have to believe that. You have to believe that we don't, um, that our people don't deserve to be criminalized during crisis. You have to believe that um, our people deserve, um, you know, stewardship of land and have access to clean water and food. Like you have to believe those things and you have to be very clear of who the actual enemy is. Right. Black people are not doing this to themselves. We already know that black people are one of the most impacted um, populations by the climate crisis. And we are also the population that is not causing the climate crisis. So you just need to believe those things, right? And we can teach each other the rest of the stuff, right? We could dream and scheme the rest of the stuff, but like, we just need you to be grounded in the fact that Black people are being harmed. 
It is our duty to figure out ways to help support our people, right? And they're also like, who's responsible for it? It's not us. It's the fossil fuel industry. It's big agriculture. It's big sugar. It's big, you know what I'm saying? It's not our people, right? So um, long as you know those things and you're down for it or whatever, you can have a community garden. You can have a bee farm. You could be a um, climate justice professor if they got those at universities. Um and you could be in this space, right? The space is for you. And um, it could be all types of black people. We even have people that live in Spain. Uh, we're talking with people that's on the continent. You know, um, it could be black people from anywhere. You got to be black. That's the thing. You got to be but black. The question, though, but the question, though, V, is that is it for all black people? Because there might be some black people who may not describe. I know a lot of black people who may not describe. To what you just said. So how does that? How yeah. do you, you? You just like y'all just we just we just you know we just like oh well, we can't rock together. I mean, how does that work? Yeah. Um. I mean, we we just got to have an honest assessment, and um, this just may not be the space for you. Every space ain't for all black people, and that is okay. That's okay. Like maybe it's just not the space for you. Um. So it's not for all black people. It's for all black people that believe that we deserve these things. <laughs> it's for those folks. Um, it's the it's for the people who want to help put down on the work. Um, and that opens it up to a lot of different types of black people. But if you know, if this is not your framework, if this is not something you believe in, then this is not the space for you. You know, um, we do have a um, what we would call. I mean, they probably would kill me for saying open door. So let's say um, I got a cracked door <laughs> for folks to be able to come in. But um, we definitely want um, those folks who are aligned. If you're not aligned, it's okay. This is not the space for you. But if you're in a climate crisis, we're going to still support you because we support that. See that? That's, that's love. That's all love right there. Mm-hmm. As a young group, you have already been hard at work. Can you tell the audience about the black climate mandate. Oh yeah. Yeah. So um, one of the things that we wanted to do at the black hive was to create a political North star as it relates Mm -hmm. to black people and climate and environmental justice. Um, We wanted to make sure that, um, you know, we were talking about what our demands are, you know, oftentimes people be like, Oh, Y'all always saying what you don't want. What is it that you want? Now we got a 20-page document to tell you exactly what that is, right? Um, so we we talk about our um, nine pillars. So our nine pillars is um, the climate crisis. So this is explaining the urgency of the time we are in right now, um, the right to breathe, right? So that's talking about like our public health as it relates to climate free the land. Um, let's talk about um, land strategy, land back strategy. Um, food is in this um, conversation and um, our relationship to the land and to indigenous people um, who um, are like the rightful occupancy, occupants of this land, the Turtle Island. Um, we also talk about water, right? Our relationship and our right to have clean, drinkable, cookable, bathable water. Um, We talk about energy and how we need to shift to renewable energy and democratizing that process. We talk about how labor, right? Um, Everybody knows that America has used the labor of Black people, I mean, since the first African was enslaved here, and um, how, one, we deserve... 
better jobs that will one help sustain us individually, right? Our health and our livelihoods, and also the health and the livelihoods of our communities. Um, and then also making sure like not these billionaires getting all these resources when the resources can be breaking down amongst the workers for them to be able to have what they need. Um, we have climate reparations. I mean, I don't need to do much talking about that, but uh, run us our bag. Our people deserve. I mean, that's what we're asking for for Jackson. That's what we're asking for for Baltimore and Flint. Like, us getting drinkable water is a part of our reparations, plus so much more. Um, we also have um, democracy, so we call it people power, right? How do um, we make a lot of these decisions around um, that's being decided on in our government in a more democratized way so to make sure that the resources that are committed to these issues are making it to the people who deserve and need them the most. And then we have our last pillar, which is the global black diasporic solidarity. And that one is us think, uh, making sure that folks know that this climate justice thing is not a U.S. centric fight, right? Um, that it's black people around the whole entire world even on the continent, who are dealing with these same climate and environmental just injustices and that we want to be in solidarity with those who are in other spaces outside of the U.S., one, to see how we can support the work they're doing on the ground, but also to give us like the call to action, like how do you want us to be talking to our government on behalf of your people um, to make sure that um, you all have what you need because we know America can be influential in other countries um, around the world. So, um, you know, usually we ask folks like, yeah, like, what do you want us to tell you, tell our government? What do you want us to say? Like, how do you want us to stand up and support you all? So, yeah, that's the Black Climate Mandate. That's a, like a brief overview of it. It's a really dope document that um, was made out of love. It was a labor of love for our people. It, it's hopefully people can take it and like take the demands and do what they need to do. Actually, the folks in Jackson, Mississippi actually just took some of the demands from the water pillar for their fight on the ground. And that made me really, really happy. Use it, please. It's downloadable on our website. Take it, copy, paste it, do what you need to do, black people, to get what you need for your people in your communities. Um, that's what the document is for. And it's for our people, our communities, our resiliency. That's who it's for. Amen. Power to that. How, how do we get this to our our people and our communities? Like, how do we how do we begin to make sure that they are they understand the Black Climate Mandate? They're reading it. They're getting it. How do we get it to our folks? You know, in the streets. You know, what, what's that process? Walk walk me through that because sometimes, as you know, we we can have these things and um, we read them. <laughs> I, yeah. I read it. We've like Rev read it. I, I don't mean nothing. We want, want, want everybody to read it. So how do we do that? Yeah. So, you know, that was one of the first conversations we had. Like, how do we make this digestible to our people, make it accessible to our folks? So one of the things that we did when we launched was to have different individuals from different places come in and speak on the different pillars, right? Um, like three to five minutes on each one. So that made it a short grab right there. But we are also getting ready and prepared to do political education, create curriculum for local organizations. And Rev, I'm a real organizer. Like I don't call myself nothing else Come but on. that. You feel what I'm saying? So um, if, if we got to travel to state to state, to meet with different black organizations and do political education, we down to do that. You know, uh, we know that it takes a lot. Like I've been doing base building work since I've started this work. And I know 
that sometimes it looks like us like going to the community center or doing all of these things. And um, I don't mind doing it. The Black Hive don't mind doing it. If you are an organization or a community leader and that you don't have to do climbing, but you want us to come in and teach and educate and share our tools, please let us know. Um, call us to action. Um, that's what we're going to do. And then also we're going to break this down into like smaller graphics and things like that. Like, like two sentence, like um, overviews, like a blurb of what these pillars are to make them like even more digestible to community. And then, you know how you got to translate things to Reb, like, and not translate languages, translate dialect, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm really good at that. I'm quite sure folks can hear my little accent now. Um, but you, um, we, we have to translate to our folk, like the everyday working class under-resourced populations who don't understand all this science, who don't understand all of these big words, right? Um, you want to make sure that our communities understand and can grasp this and they understand how they can use it. Right. So that's some of the goals to do that. Um, I mean, I always say healing, one, healing, healing um, every hood one block at a time. Mm. Well, I want to say you right now that Hip Hop Caucus and our, our team is definitely will we'll do what we can. You've already, you already yeah. know folks who are already cross pollinate folks like our producers here, Tamara and Destiny, but also on our production side, like Dream Hampton. So we, we definitely, we definitely will do what we can to make sure we give narrative and storytelling. So look forward to having those conversations. Um, speaking of the science and where we're going, let's get a little bit to the next step. We could, we know cop 27 is almost uh-huh. here. What's the blacks have thoughts about the utility of cop, uh, for black people and other groups in the global black discussion. Ooh, cop, 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 um, conference of parties. Um, so it's a, it's a two part thing for us, right? So one, we are going in with, um, preparing to have conversations in the cop space about what we're hearing and learning from our communities. But more importantly, we are going to cop to be able to connect with other black climate and environmental justice leaders, not just from the U.S., because we're going to be in partnership with our folks here, but also from around the globe. Like, what are other folks working on? What are your demands? Why is that important? You said it. Why is that Why is that important for us as Black people? This is kind of going back to the, uh, just the standpoint of our history of connecting with the continent. Why is that important for Black people, as far as the people in general? Yeah. Um, one, um, we can't keep saying Black and only talking to Americans. Come on now. Like, we can't keep saying that. Like, that's crazy. Like, we got to put it together. Like, that's one. Two, it's just important. Like, I, I'm I, I'm fighting for resiliency and liberation for Black people everywhere. That's always been our standpoint. And it's just so important that I'm an I'm a American citizen for whatever that means, right? I live here. I was born here, right? I do not have, I, I've read many books, I listen to many podcasts, I listen to many interviews, but it still does not give me a lived experience to be able to speak on behalf of people from other countries, right? So what does it look like for us to just be in deeper conversation with folks? Um, we don't need to speak for people. We need to pass the mic. Hello? Like, that's why it's important. Like, if we really care, like, what does it look like for us to be in true solidarity with people 
that's outside of our everyday lives to make sure that their voices are heard and their concerns are met. And I, um, I feel like um, it's even more important now because we see that what we are dealing with here in the U.S., people are dealing with on the continent. People are dealing with um, in other parts of the world, like South America and the Caribbean islands. And, um, and we also know that Africa is being sucked dry by capitalists, right? Like all of the resources are being drained, right? And then that looks like millions of people not having food security, millions of black people on the continent not having fresh, clean drinking water, millions of people on the continent that are not, that's not, that do not have housing security. And I continue to tell people like this, this fight we're in is a threat multiplier. So if you're already dealing with tyranny, dictatorship, lack of access to resources and all of those things, then you have the climate crisis on top of that, right? And that's going to exaggerate what people are going through. And um, that's what we're seeing in a lot of um, the other, especially Black nations around the world. And I um, realized that um, it was our job and our duty as a national ecosystem to be in solidarity with other Black global um, institutions and um, NGOs because um, it's not it's not just enough for us to just talk about what's happening here in the U.S. and our problem is big. Our problem is big, but um, the larger problem for Black people is even bigger. You know, um, and it's just so important. Like we don't have to guess if we ask, right? We don't have to um, fit, worry about conflict if we make room. You know, if we uh, we don't have to worry about making a mistake if we listen. Y'all feel what I'm saying? So it's so important because um, we also are coming from the U.S. Um, we're learning as we prepare for COP that um, I guess these other countries got a lot of respect for the United States of America. You know what I'm saying? So they like, you know, as U.S. Um, citizens, as we are coming into um, and onto the continent in November, um, you know, it should be an expectation for us to be in alignment with the folks who are there on the ground that's having to deal with the greenwashing and the mistreatment that they're dealing with on a daily basis, right? That having their human rights stripped from them, it should be a, um, an expectation for us to show up as um, true allies for our folks um, on the continent and from other Black nations. It should be an expectation for us as U.S. citizens, as voters and taxpayers to hold our government accountable for the harm that the U.S. is doing to other countries, right? Uh, we know that the United States um, harms a lot of Black people around the world, right? So um, that's that's one of the reasons, many main reasons we're going to COP, for us to be able to hear and um, understand and um, make sure that we're being good allies and good um, stewards of resources to be of support of um our people larger than what it is that we know in the U.S. context. I'm always amazed at how fast this time goes and these amazing yes. conversations. So I, I, I got, I got this one more for you. I uh, know they, uh -huh. they, they go quick. I got one. I got one more for you as we close out one. Um, really the question is how, how far is, how far is the black hive willing to go? And let me preface that in my own, walk, as you know, this country, America, labeled me a threat to national security. This country, I've been beaten by police. When I crossed the bridge in New Orleans with Cynthia McKinney, uh, people called me up, threatened to kill me, 
Let me know. I shouldn't be, I can't be so attached to this life form when you're fighting for liberation for your people. Mm-hmm. And that was actually helpful for me because I was like, all right, I just, I just got to realize, I got to tell, you know, my own folks around me that, hey, because I'm fighting for my people, I may or may not be here with you. And that's the reality. I and mean, I'm okay, and I'm fine. I'm, I'm actually okay with that. But the Black Hive is now walking into this space where they will politic, mm-hmm. you're politicking against, with, against, with people who their whole intention is to see black people destroyed. That's it. They have created institutions. They have created systems to see us destroyed. How far is the black hive willing to go for liberation? Yeah. Um, So I want to start with how far I'm willing to go. Hmm. Because I I go real far, Red. Um, If I got the breath in my body and the health um, I'm going like it's nothing. Nobody will be able to tell me to stop um, my, myself from being um, and supporting black people to get to liberation. That's one. Um, so the black hive is willing to go where the people want us to go. Let's say that. Right. Um, as it relates to this climate and environmental justice fight. Right. The, the black hive is willing to stand in the most radical stance. Right. And just like yourself as people within um, the Black Hive, people within InfraBL, myself, um, who has been threatened and thrown in jail and mistreated and whatnot. Um, and we know that this, that becomes a thing. It's, it becomes a thing. It's always going to be a thing. They hate to see us stand up. They hate for us to speak truth to power. And we're willing to continue to do that. Right. Um, for me, I always tell people I don't scare easily. I mean, if you put a snake on me, probably, but like, I don't really scare easily by human beings. And, um, I um I try to um you know make sure like the hive understands that we can go as far as we dare to go. You know what I'm saying? Like we can be as radical as we want. We can say the things that some other folks cannot say. Usually we get that a lot from um our comrades who work for non-black organizations. They were like, you know, in in the black hive, we could say the thing. We could do the thing. We could be we can be um, audacious, right? We can be have all the audacity to show up in our blackness and for our liberation, um, right? We can, um, you know, make room to think about black futures, right? We we can um, dream and, and cultivate these things. We can stand up alternatives if we want to. Uh, we don't have to ask any questions, right? Um, and that's what we're planning on going. We want to um, make sure we um, folks know and understand that we don't have all the answers yet. We don't have all the answers yet. And we probably never have all the answers because the world evolves all the time, right? But we are willing to do whatever it is that the people really need us to do, right? So last year when we first started with the Red, Black, and Green New Deal, it was mainly policy, right? We got work from the ground. We need more than that. We need more than that. People need things, right? So last year during the Arctic Blast, um, we stood up this huge support for five states, right? Hit 50,000 households, taught 30 plus organizations how to respond to their communities in this time. We also released the Arctic Blast Report, given the data and the information, like we're willing to go as far as people need to go. If it's boots on the ground, if it's us on the front line fighting against a pipeline, if it's us in um, DC in our nation's capital fighting through legislation, if it's us building narrative and culture, we're willing to do it, right? We, um, we're down. We with it all the way. And I need people to know that we are still learning. We want to learn more and that um, you all can be a part of this thing that we're building to, um, you know, vision what what it would look like 
in this new reality. Hmm. Yeah, that's powerful. They give them the website and how they can find the Black Cop, how they can get the Black Cloud Mandate and all that good stuff. Yeah. So um, we have a website, theblackhive.org. Um, you can check us out on there, what we have going on, um, more context of who we are in the Black Climate Mandate is there. You all can also find us um, at infrabl.org. That's the Movement for Black Lives. Also, follow Movement for Black Lives on all platforms. You usually will see a lot of updates about the Black Hive and all the different work we have going on. And if you are interested and joining the Black Hive after hearing this, and hopefully some folks will be, um, you can reach out to Rev and the folks here at the show, and they can put you in contact with me as some of the um, producers um, of this show is, are actually a part of the Black Hive, which is so dope, right? Um, so yeah, like plug in, um, join our movement, um, read up on it, take these tools back to your local community, um, and you know, let us know how we could be of assistance. My sister Valencia, I send this beautiful love and spirit every and all the good energy your way. Thank you for being on The Coolest Show. And I'm Rev Yearwood, your host of The Coolest Show, and that's Valencia Gunder V from The Black Eye. All power to the people. Thank you, sister. Thank you. Like what you heard on this episode? Make sure you subscribe to the podcast. Follow us at Think 100 Climate and at Hip Hop Caucus on Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook. Visit thecoolestshow.com where you can take action for climate justice right now. You can also learn more about this podcast and donate to Think 100%, which is a non-profit project. Thank you for listening and all power to the people. It's the coolest show you know. It's the coolest show you know.